Hello, my name is Jody Lee Ma, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. The poem I'm going to start off with today is called Tree Sleeping. It was written by Robert P. Tristram Coffin, and I found it in the poetry collection The Earth is Painted Green, a garden of poems about our planet. Uh, this book was edited by Barbara Brenner and illustrated by S.D. Schindler. Robert P. Tristram Coffin was a Pulitzer Prize award-winning American poet who uh, often wrote about life in New England. His poetry works include such books as Saltwater Farm, which is a collection of poems about Maine, and Strange Holiness, which won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1936. Tree Sleeping by Robert P. Tristram Coffin When I was small and trees were high, I loved to sleep out nights by the sea. A spruce that held up half the sky had boughs like beds where I could lie. So thick the twigs I could not slide, through to earth and at my side the evening star lay close to me. The night came over the ocean slow, a wind came up from nowhere there. I felt my tree go to and fro until my bed was holy air. I lay on music grave and deep, moved on oceans of holy sleep with great stars tangled in my hair. A seabird on a snowy wing came down with treble cries, alighted on my bed, this thing woke me with wide surprise, flew off with golden talons curled, and there on the blue edge of the world the young sun looked me in the eyes. My guest today is Alison Gardner, author of the fantasy novels Alchemy, The Serpent of Eridor, and Coming Soon, The Goblin's Curse. You can find Allison's website at allisongardnerauthor.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Allison. I'm delighted to be here, Jody. Now, as I mentioned, you've, uh, you've got these uh, two fantasy novels that you've already published. Uh, they both involve the same character, Alec Weston and his hamster, Scoodles. Can you give us a little background of uh, you know, the world of those novels and the character and the kind of adventures that um, Alex and his hamster have gone through so far? Oh, absolutely. It's um, it's set mainly on a desert island, um, which doesn't exist on maps. And Alex, before he sets off on his venture to find out what happened to his parents, is basically a perfectly normal boy. But when he gets, he shipwrecks himself onto this island. And as he does that, he crosses into a world of enchantment. And he discovers that he's in a world of magic. There's wizards, there's spells. Um, and he discovers that Scoodle can talk his hamster. Um, he himself, however, remains a completely normal boy. So he's having to fight in this world, fight to survive, and then ultimately to save Eridor, but just with a completely normal boy. So he has, you know, he uses his wit, he uses his loyalty, he makes some fantastic friends on the island, um, including a bear and a snake and a monkey. And they all go off on these adventures together. And, and Scoodle is just a brilliant character. He's he's funny, he's sassy, he's rude. I call him a reluctant hero because, you know, things happen and then he kind of canters in at the last minute and says, oh, I suppose I better save you all and does so, even though he's only a few ounces of, of creature. Um, but he's good fun. And uh, what was the inspiration uh, for both the, you know, the characters and this, um, this, uh, this fantasy world for you? 
And it started as a school run story because I had to um, take the children to school over quite a, a distance. And I started telling them stories really actually out of selfishness because I worked out that if I used to tell them stories and they were gripped, they, they shut up. <laughs> they kept quiet in the car. Uh, so I started telling the stories and, and some of them were a bit strange. And this one, as it started rolling, I thought, Do you know what, I really like this story. But because I'm a seat of the pants writer, I tend to sort of roll and see where it gets me. I didn't know where, what the ending was. And I realised that in order to find out quite what happened to all these characters, I would actually have to write the end of the story. Um, but several of the characters literally emerged from the kids who are in the car. Um, and not necessarily that they are with snake-like personalities, but, you know, some of the characteristics then got built into the, into the creatures. So uh, it was good fun. They kept throwing in, throwing in curveballs. I'd be trotting along, you know, with some, some part of the story, and they'd suddenly throw something in. And, oh, how can I do that? So uh, it was good fun. So you had some collaboration, in effect. If I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Putting all these threads in, and I love to laugh. So you know, that's part of what what the, a lot of the dialogue is um, carries a fair bit of humour because I. I find, I mean, I love adventure stories and I love fantasy and I love lots of things happening, but sometimes you feel it's a bit full on. So there's quite a lot of, of sort of threads of, you know, particularly Scoodle, you know, he likes to laugh too. Now, like I said, you've got a, a third book in the series, The Goblin's Curse, coming out. Um, first, when is it coming out? Do you have a, do you have a time yet? Um, I don't have an actual date, but it, it's pretty much done. I have one conversation to to put in that I realised I needed a plant, um, and apart from that, it's essentially done. So then it's all the, the sort of re-editing and just making sure it's tidied up. Um, so no, hopefully in the next, I guess six nine months might be might be about the time. Okay, can you give us a little preview of uh, what what we would look forward to in that book? One character comes to the fore a bit more, a rather particularly nasty goblin called Rectoria. Um, who who has had a curse laid on her, and she's partly threaded through the book as she tries to effectively overcome this. But what I love about fantasy is you can put in anything you like. And I decided that what I wanted, um, I'd had an aerial fight in an, in alchemy, and I decided I wanted effectively an underwater fight. Um, and you can do that. You can have literally people having this this beano battle at the bottom of a lake, if you really want to. Um, so we've got that. We've got um, a dead wizard reappearing. He's quite fun as well. Um, and some extraordinary characters. There's a, um, a a killer porcupine, an enormous monster killer porcupine called Quilliam, and he shoots poisonous quills. Um, and that's that's the other. Oh, sea cucumbers, which are are invisible. So lots of weird characters appearing. Now, uh, you said in like in fantasy books, you can do just about anything. Is that the particular appeal, both as a writer and a reader, uh, that in fantasy books that just about anything is really possible? Uh, I think very much so. Um, as a writer, you have to obey the rules. You can't just literally have stuff appearing out of nowhere or uh, suddenly somebody can do a spell which they couldn't before. You have to. You still have to have your rules, as it were. Um, but but yes, you can you can just decide that something would be fabulous and, and build it in. At one point in in one of the wizards' hallways, he has a, a coffee table made out of a Catherine wheel. Because I thought actually, if you took a Catherine wheel and you laid it on its sides and basically froze it, then you had this fantastic piece of kit with all these little spitting lights. And I thought it'd make a wonderful coffee table. So I've got one. Hmm, really? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, not not completely real life, but uh, inside my head, real life. Yes. 
Now, the book you chose um, uh, to talk about today is one of your favorite kids' books, uh, speaking of, 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 of fancy or unusual books, is uh, Goth Girl and the Ghost of a Mouse. It was written by uh, Chris Riddell. It was written in 2013 and published by uh, Macmillan. And, uh, and this was a, a new book to me, one I hadn't read, and I enjoyed it very much. Uh, for readers like myself who might be unfamiliar with it, I've read it now, but uh, who might still be unfamiliar with it, can you talk a little bit about uh, what the book is and what it's about? Um, Chris Riddell is, is a fantastic author and illustrator, and, and for this one, he's both. And and it centers on a, a girl who's the daughter of Lord Goth. So she lives in this huge mansion called Ghostly Gorm Hall and discovers that the, the indoor gamekeeper is up to no good and, and something truly bad is going to happen to upset her father's plans. Um, but the beautiful thing is he he brings in all these wonderful creatures and these wonderful concepts and all illustrated with the most superb pen and ink drawings, um, which really does, it gives you such a beautiful mental image to go along with. Um, and, you know, as an adult going through this book and, and you know, glorying over his his wonderful images. And he does manage to put concepts together fabulously well, you know, things that you, well, she she has an eight poster bed, for example. You think, well, well why wouldn't you, you know? And, uh, and her soldiers, her egg and soldiers in the morning, they're not just soldiers, they're grenadier guards, sorry, grenadier guards. So he does manage to bring together all these wonderful concepts. And I think the other thing is, as an adult, is there are quite a few sort of references. For example, this, this ancient mariner has a, um, an albatross called Coleridge. Now, an adult would get that and a child wouldn't. But I think it's quite fun that they do have these sort of links, you know, that, um, you know, perhaps they'll ask about them. Perhaps an adult will laugh and, and explain. Um, but it certainly makes it a lot more fun as an adult reading it, too. One thing I was going to ask you about, there are a lot of literary references in the book. There's character Mary Shellfish and Tristram Shandy yes. Gentleman. And like you said, it would go over the heads. Um, and uh, what do you think is uh, the, the reason for the author including them? I mean, knowing that, that most kids are not going to understand them at their stage. Um, is this for the adults? Is it for a conversation? Or is the author just having a little bit of fun on his own? I suspect a lot of it he's having fun on his own, realistically. But I think it is true as an author. You do like to introduce either new concepts or new words into kids' vocabulary. And I think for them to to have those there, potentially, yes, I, I can imagine they would say, aha, you know, there's, for example, this albatross called Coleridge. And, you know, an adult might say, well, actually, it's interesting because. So I, I think it probably does expand the child a bit. Um, but no, I, I suspect he's just having fun. I think he's just teasing quite a lot of the time. Now, the main character, as you mentioned, is, is Ada Goth. And, um, you know, she's an interesting character. She's an unusual relationship with her father, who has an odd sort of notion of uh, the children should be heard and not seen, I believe. Uh, can you talk a little bit about who she is and, and kind of her relationship with her father? What makes her an interesting character to spend some time with in this book? Um, yeah, she's a slightly unfortunate child. You, you have quite a lot of sympathy for Ada because her mother was a famous tightrope walker and got killed when she was practicing one night on the roofs of the hall and lightning struck her and, and that was the end. And ever since then, her father has been distraught by the mother's death. And, and because Ada looks so much like her mother and doesn't really like to see her. So they meet once a week for tea. And, and it sounds like a rather quiet and subdued affair as uh, she, she tries to relate to her father. And she clearly thinks her father's great. Um, and he's, he's a fantastically interesting character. But she lives this very, very lonely life in this absolutely massive hall. Um, she then becomes friendly with several people who 
And presumably her father would have sort of believed beneath her, like the, the scullery maid um, and the chap who looks after the hobby horses. He doesn't have horses, he has hobby horses. But she's, you know, she's got a sense of adventure. She wants to get out. She wants to go and, and see what's happening. She wants to tackle the bad things that are happening. Um, she's a little devious. He makes her wear clumpy boots so that she can be heard and, and knows all the time where she is. And I suppose, therefore, can be avoided. Um, but she has her mother's tightrope slippers, so she wears those if she wants to get around the, the hall unseen. Um, so so you, you have every sympathy for this girl, and you're very much rooting for her as she's busy trying to sort out the bad things happening. Now, apart from Ada, there's a lot of other characters. Actually, it's a short novel, but there are there are a huge number of characters yes. in this. Um, there's a Ish, Ishmael the mouse, her father, Laura Goth, as you mentioned, her newfound friends, William and Emily Cabbage. My personal favorite, her new governess, uh, Lucy Borgia. Uh, mm. Do you have a character that you're particularly uh, drawn to out of all those different characters, apart from Ada? Apart from yeah. it, um, I think William Cabbage, because he's he blends into what it, he's a chameleon, basically. So he blends into his surroundings. So if he's stripy, standing against stripy wallpaper, he becomes stripy. And if he's, you know, holding a cup of yellow tea, he will become yellow. And uh, and I think that's actually it's it's good fun and it's interesting. He's managed to draw him so well if you consider that he's blending into the background. Um, but now I rather like the concept of William and uh, being able to do that. He doesn't play a great part, but he's he's interesting. Apart from the characters, there's just a lot of uh, this, as you mentioned, this this wonderfully named Ghastly Gorham Hall. There's a lot of parts to this, uh, all sorts of different little places within it. The Unstable Stables, the Deer Deer Park, the Lake of Extremely Koi Carp. Do you have a favorite location yourself, uh, somewhere that you thought, boy, that I would really like to go and visit that sometime? Um, yes, there, there's several places. I think um, there's a secret garden and a very secret garden. And the very secret garden sounded very rather good fun and very beautiful and in the middle of all of the grounds. Um, the the race course also sounded, where they race their hobby horses, not real horses, but hobby horses, um, sounded rather good fun as well with all of its hazards in the middle of it, um, which is then described in the race um, towards the end, which is the main sort of event of the book. Um, it, yeah, both of those were good fun. Now, this is a book that wouldn't necessarily work so well as an audio book because of, as you mentioned, the, the illustrations that are in here, actually along with the footnotes as well. There's a lot of little very, very uh, funny footnotes that are, that are such a big part of the story. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what these, these, these sort of things bring to the, the story, the story text itself? I think they lighten it. I mean, the, the text is already very light and, and very funny, um, but it is quite quite fun when you, you're going along and something's happening and then your attention gets drawn elsewhere. And and he will, um, for example, he will talk about the different cheeses and he'll give them really wild names, slightly related to normal cheeses. Um, let me just read one of the footnotes. Foot, feet notes, I don't know. It's about the polar explorer's fair, spare foot. Um, and and how this this footnote actually writes the um, side tracks, and the, the foot used to belong to a famous novelist. Yes, the the um, one of the footnotes um, is about the gravy rocket, which is a, a little train that goes around the dinner table, and it says the gravy rocket is a miniature version of the famous steam engine, the salad rocket, which used to transport carrots and cabbages from Norfolk to London, until it crashed into the mayonnaise express just outside the little town of Coleslaw. And they're just nice little sort of vignettes 
which uh, certainly add to the text. But yes, no, it'd be quite difficult to put those in an audiobook. I suppose you could say, and now the footnote, um, but it would make it more difficult. It should be apparent for now, this is not a, a serious or realistic book at all. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of humor that's very silly and over, definitely deliberately over the top. Uh, so what's the value for a book like this uh, for kids? Something that's just, you know, can, that's just very silly at times. What's the value of a book as opposed to a more serious book? Um, and not just for kids, but for adults as well. The fact that they can immerse themselves in it and will be drawn along. Children are very harsh critics when they're they're reading. If they don't like something, they'll simply stop. An adult, once they've paid for something, will probably have a pop at finishing it. But children, children really won't. You know, if they don't like it, that's it. They're out. And at least with something like this, there's plenty to amuse them and plenty for for them to want to keep reading for. You know, to find the next piece of silliness. Uh, and and at the end of it, you can land quite big life lessons on children that they won't even spot because it's it's so bound up in in the whole text. And with this one, a lot of it's about loyalty. You know, her loyalty to her friends and her friends' loyalty to her is what ultimately saves the day. You know, her her ability to trust her governess. You know, her own courage and her own overcoming her struggles that she she ultimately learns to re- walk a tightrope. You know, which was her mother's skill. Um, so there, there's lots of big lessons in there, but I think a child would literally just be swept up by the silliness, the humor, and just want to keep reading as an adult would. Hmm. Yeah, she has uh, maybe a little bit of an arc, but not a huge sort of character arc. She's not that much different in the end than the beginning. Or probably your father changes more than anybody else. But um, I'm thinking of other books like Alice in Wonderland. There's a character who doesn't really have a character arc at all. And for a book like this, does it really matter? Does a character always have to have a life-changing arc in a book? I don't think it has to be a life-changing arc. I think they certainly need to go on a journey of some description, a mental journey of some description. Um, and I suppose Ada has learned to be braver um, and to stick up for what she believes she, you know, cause she, she finds it difficult to stick up to the, the indoor gamekeeper. Um, and to a certain extent, she does that a bit. So I think an amount of, of change would be important. But I agree. I don't think they necessarily have to have a radical, radical revelation, as it were, by the end particularly in a series, because there's a limit to how many radical revelations you can have. And, and it is one of several books. Oh, that's right. There are, there are several books I haven't had the chance to read the other ones, but uh, uh, there, are, there are quite a number in the series. Now, the copy of the book I have, and I assume that's with most copies, uh, we haven't really talked much about Ishmael, who actually doesn't play a big part in the, the story. But he has his in, in the book I have, he has a little book in the back, uh, Memoirs of a Mouse. I don't know if you, you've, I assume you've uh, had a chance to look through that. Yes. You can talk a yeah. little bit about No, I've got my memoirs as well. Yeah. Mm. And that's just uh, his own story, basically. Yes. And I think it's quite fun because you don't really hear his own story. In fact, you don't even know he has a story, really, until right at the very end when um, it turns out that this is partly what's kept him being a ghost. But for him to tell it in, his, in the first person, you know, this is how I had my adventures. And really quite stunning adventures um, was was quite good fun. You know, this little illustrated and colour cartoon book. I thought it was quite a good device, actually. Because as you say, Ishmael's a bit of a, almost a side character, even though he introduces the whole business in the beginning. And the story itself is sort of a, a takeoff on Gulliver, Gulliver's travels. Yes. Too, yeah. Yeah, which is quite good fun. Uh, were there any, um, you shared a little bit about, were there any other uh, parts of the book that you would like to share? 
Well, I just thought it might be quite interesting to read from the beginning because I think it, it opens rather well and just gives you a, a tone of the book itself. Would that be a, a good thing to do? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so this is chapter one. Ada Goth sat up in her eight-poster bed and peered into the inky blankness. There it was again. A sigh, soft and sad, and ending in a little squeak. Ada looked across the bedroom as she held up the candle and stepped out of bed. Who's there? she whispered. Ada was the only child of Lord Goth of Garthly Gome Hall, the famous cycling poet. Her mother had been a beautiful tightrope walker from Thessalonica, whom Lord Goth had met and married on his travels. Unfortunately, Parthenope had been killed when Ada was still a baby, while practising on the roof of Ghastly Golm Hall during a thunderstorm. Lord Goth never talked about that terrible night. Instead, he stayed at home in his huge house, shut away in his study, writing extremely long poems. When he wasn't writing, Lord Goth spent his time riding his hobby horse Pegasus around the grounds and taking pot shots at the garden ornaments with a blunderbuss. Before long, he had acquired a reputation for being mad, bad and dangerous to gnomes. Looking at that, that um, reference to Lord Byron, I just think is quite fun. But it does give you a good, good impression of the setup of the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. It's a, it's a very unique style. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, well, Alison, uh, thank you so much for choosing this book. Like I said, this is this was a, a new book for me. Um, Excellent. So, so that's always a nice thing to be able to uh, come across something that I haven't come across before. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me today about it. Oh no, thank you very much. It's been it's been good fun talking to you, and I hope uh, other people read the book and enjoy it because it. Uh, I certainly have enjoyed it very much myself. You can find Allison's website at allisongardnerauthor.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.